Good morning. Whether you're joining us over the live stream or here in the sanctuary, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I am so glad to be with you this morning. I especially want to welcome our visitors this morning. If you have the ability to do so and you're joining us online, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. If you're here in person, I invite you to join us for coffee and conversation after the service. That's back through these double doors, through the triple doors, and then to your right in Housen Hall. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either in the comments if you're on the live stream or by turning to those around you if you're here in the sanctuary. Please join me in lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Mary Catherine Morn, President and Lead Executive Officer of the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. Beauty awakens and admonishes us. We are here in religious community not to hide from the anguished cries or the tender lullabies. We are here in religious community not to protect our hearts from breaking. We are here together to borrow courage for the task of coming alive. We are here so that together we might heed the admonitions of beauty, answer the call to create, protect, and preserve. This congregation has a mission that it discerned together. It's our common purpose. It guides our decision-making, guides our programs and ministries. We say it together every Sunday so that we may carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's say it together now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Each week, we have a moment for beloved community to explore more deeply the meaning of that term, beloved community, I had a moment for beloved community prepared for you all this earlier this week, and then yesterday we witnessed marches against the potential Roe v. Wade reversal by a radical extremist group of conservative white Supreme Court justices, and we saw a mass shooting at a supermarket known to be located in an African-American neighborhood. The perpetrator was a young white male who appears to be influenced by white supremacist extremist attitudes, including he seems to adhere to general replacement theory, also known as white replacement theory. This is an idea that the changing demographics here in the U.S. and in Europe are not due to natural sociological factors, but instead to a conspiracy by liberal elites. To add even more bigotry, adherents often say that it is a Jewish 
liberal elite conspiracy. We'll probably have more to talk about about the shooting as we are able to process it more and as more information comes available. But I have two initial thoughts. One, these two things are related. Both are intended to maintain systemic racism and the patriarchy. The potential Supreme Court decision will at least indirectly inflict violence upon women's bodies and will disproportionately affect women of color, and those justices know that. The fact, too, the fact that we cannot seem to get reasonable gun control laws in this country is also due, at least in part, to racism and the patriarchy. Okay, that's my rant. Now, back to what I originally wanted to offer. It's poet laureate Amanda Gorman addressing the potential reversal of Roe v. Wade. She's wonderful. She addresses it much more powerfully and beautifully than I ever could. Reasons to stand up today against abortion bans in the United States. One, let's get this straight. When the penalty for rape is less than the penalty for abortion after the rape, you know this isn't about caring for women and girls, it's about controlling them. Two, through forcing them into motherhood before they're ready, these bans steadily sustain the patriarchy, but also chain families in poverty and maintain economic inequality. Three, pregnancy is a private and personal decision. It should not require the permission of any politician. Four, for all time, regardless of whether it's a crime, women have and will always seek their own reproductive destinies. All these penalties do is subdue women's freedom to get healthy, safe services when they most need them. Five, fight to keep Roe v. Wade alive by the term overturn Roe v. Wade. The main concern is that the Supreme Court will let states thwart a woman's path to abortion with undue burdens. But one thing is true in certain six. These predictions aren't a distortion, hypothetical, or theoretical. Women already face the disproportion of undue burdens when seeking abortions if the sexes and all people are to be equal. Abortion has to be actually accessible and not just technically legal. Seven, despite what you might hear, this right here isn't only about women and girls. This fight is about fundamental civil rights. Women are a big part of it, but at the heart of it, our freedom over how fast our families grow goes farther and larger than any one of us. It's about every single one of us. Eight, fight for Roe v. Wade in the United States because this change can't wait. We've got the energy the moment, the movement, and the thundering numbers. The alt-right's biggest blunder is that most Americans aren't under their impression that a woman's body is up to them to decide. So when you're outraged, these lawmakers are terrified. They want our tide to lose hope, to back up, pack up, and go home. So don't. We won't. We are never alone when we fight fire with feminism. So go, be unafraid. We will not be delayed. We will not be masquerade to the tale of a handmaid. We will not let Roe v. Wade slowly fade because when we show up today, we're already standing up with the tomorrow we made. Walking Among Tall Grasses by Chris Jemerson. 
I walk among tall grasses, peering out and through, like a seeking predator or hiding prey. There is buzzing all around me, distant vehicles on roads unseen, insects and small creatures much nearer and yet also unseen, and falling on listening ears also, the calls of feathered friends and the stirring and whisking and crunching of furry creatures hidden within the grasses and behind tree limbs and stones. And within, the eventual settling of running commentary into a quieter hum that blends and harmonizes. Green of leaves, blue of sky, gray and white of floating clouds, gold of sun, browns of coming fall. And space surrounds and blends and comes within and spreads out infinitely and at once. And time is still and yet flowing together, all times at once. And for a time, the creative source is knowable. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. Breathing together, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where that spark of the divine within each of us provides a light that allows us to experience beauty and transcendence in our lives. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that the sounds of small children and human sounds are a part of the sacred silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, in, and out. Let us enter into that time of sacred silence together. I now invite you to light candles, candles of sorrow, joy, remembrance, hope. Thank you. 
In November of 2020, I decided to spend a few days of my vacation and study leave in San Saba, a small town in north-central Texas near Colorado Bend State Park, which I wanted to explore a little. The pandemic was still raging at that point, and the first vaccines were not yet available, so I found this place to stay where the hosts had agreed to more stringent cleaning and disinfection protocols. North Central Texas is a beautiful area. The hills grow higher and rockier and provide these stunning views. San Saba is a nice little town with a beautiful old courthouse surrounded by a small but charming historic district. It has this huge, beautiful park that features nicely paved trails that cross both the creek and the San Saba River. On either side of the bridges, the trails wander through lush forests filled with soaring pecan trees, something for which San Saba is known. It's really pretty magnificent. Then I took a 30-minute drive over to Colorado Bend State Park and hiked the Gorman Falls Trail, which took me high over a forested hilltop, then down into a steep valley to the 70-foot waterfall, the highest I've seen in Texas. The whole thing is pretty dazzling. Well, week before last, I went back and stayed at that very same place, I wanted to revisit some of these beautiful sites and explore the state park a little more. The thing is, the first time I went, each evening as I would sit outside admiring the twilight sky, a little neighborhood cat would come by and visit me, meowing and rubbing against my legs and purring and wanting to sit in my lap and be petted. We became fast friends. And yes, I got wrangled out of a few treats. Well, when I went back this last time, as some of you saw me post on Facebook, my little furry friend came back both evenings that I was there. Amidst all that soaring beauty of nature I have just described, my friendship with that little kitty is what sticks in my heart the most. Now, as you may have surmised from that story, the topic we're exploring today and more broadly in the church this month is beauty, specifically nurturing beauty. The story of the cat that stole my heart, I think, reminds us that though we tend to think of beauty as the glories of a stunning sunset, the majesties of the mountains, an extraordinary piece of art, a thrilling piece of music, what I call big beauty, there is also, though, beauty to be found in many other ways. We experience extraordinary beauty through nurturing relationship with one another, with other creatures like me and the cat. Our hearts can be thrilled by simpler sources of beauty, Moonlight shining through the window blinds and reflected in thrilling patterns on the floor. The touch of a loved one working in our garden. The smile of a beloved child. What's wonderful is that the list of these simpler sources of beauty goes on and on. Likewise, science and learning can also nurture a great sense of beauty in us.
In a wonderful New York Times piece titled, Why is Beauty So Important to Us?, Nobel Prize recipient Elizabeth Blackburn writes, Sometimes there is beauty in the simple idea of science pursuing truth, or in the very process of scientific inquiry by which human creativity and ingenuity unveil a pattern within what had looked like chaos and incomprehensibility. And isn't there beauty and elegance in the fact that just four DNA nucleotides are patterned to produce the shared genetic information that underlies myriad seemingly unrelated forms of life. In fact, there are such a multitude of sources we humans have found to get in touch with beauty that I can't possibly list them all here today. But as a spiritual exercise, I invite you to create a list of where you find beauty that doesn't require a trip to the ocean or to the mountaintop. Or, if you'd prefer, to keep a journal of where you encounter beauty in the living of everyday life. But we don't just seek out beauty, do we? We actively create it. We create music and art and theater and humor and loving communities. We play and love and laugh and experience and create beauty in our lives in so many other ways. We see beauty in justice as a way to protect the beautiful in our world and to create more of it. And, and seeing that beauty as we go sustains our very struggles for justice. Beauty invites us to create more of it and then to share it to give it away. This is what our wonderful musicians do here at the church every Sunday. This is what folks in all of the arts are striving to do. This is what the helpers, the medical folks, the counselors, the religious professionals, the human rights activists, the environmental activists, etc., are doing. Protecting the beauty that already exists, trying to make more of it, and then sharing it with others. You see, we amplify our own sense of beauty by protecting it, creating more of it, and then sharing it. Now, before I go on, I want to take a brief detour to say that what we are not talking about today are the material things in our life, though those things may be beautiful to us also. And we are most certainly not talking about the impossible and ever-changing standards of attractiveness that the so-called beauty industry has imposed upon women for ages. More recently, this same industry has greatly expanded how it is also successfully manipulating men. And all of it, all of it controlled by people who grab fortunes from it, as Arthur Ursula Le Guin put it. I want to share with you a poem Maya Angela wrote in relation to this. Phenomenal Woman by Maya Angelou. Pretty woman wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. But when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say... 
It's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I am a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. I walk into a room just as cool as you please. And to a man, the fellow stand or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm around me, a hive of honeybees. I say, it's in the fire of my eyes. And the flash in my teeth. The swing in my waist. And the joy in my feet. I'm a woman phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say, it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breasts, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say, it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palm of my hand, the need for my care. Because I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. What beautiful people. What a beautiful person Maya Angelou was. So, why is nurturing the kind of beauty we'd been talking about before that little detour so important to us? Why do we work so hard to protect and create more of it? Well, according to the research, it seems there may be two main reasons. First, beauty calls us to do and be more. Arthur Andre Asiman in that same wonderful New York Times piece I mentioned earlier, puts it this way. We fall in love with sunsets and beaches, with tennis, with works of art, with places like Tuscany and the Rockies and the south of France, and, of course, with other people, not just because of who or what they are, but because they promise to realign us with our better selves with the people we've always known we were but neglected to become, the people we crave to be before our time runs out. Feminist and education activist Reshma Sujani says it this way, Beauty can stop us in our tracks. It can inspire us, move us, bring us to tears. The best kind of beauty changes hearts and minds. So beauty calls us to our better selves and thus in turn to create a better world. Now, it seems that the other reason that we cultivate beauty may be related to that first reason. Beauty has the potential to connect us with the transcendent. When I was on that beautiful hike in Colorado Bend State Park a couple of weeks ago, the last time I was there, I had an experience I've mentioned before in other sermons, but that is extremely hard to describe. Surrounded by all that natural beauty, I was suddenly transported into a sense of being outside of time, 
of being intrinsically connected with all of the life and creation around me and eventually everyone and everything beyond that. What we Unitarian Universalists call the web of all existence, of which we are part. To quote Andre Asiman again, call it enchantment, the difference between the time-bound and the timeless, between us and the otherworldly. All beauty and art evoke harmonies that transport us to a place where, for only seconds, time stops and we are one with the world. British neurologist and author Oliver Sacks called this deep time, which he said brings a deep peace with it, a detachment from the time scale, the urgencies of daily life, a profound sense of being at home, a sort of companionship with the earth. Now, I have to tell you that week before last, on the morning when I was preparing to leave San Saba, deep time happened for me again because of the cat. I had gotten up and packed up the car very early in the morning, hoping to get back to Austin before rush hour. I'd gone back to lock the front door when my little friend came round again. I'd like to think to say goodbye. I sat down on the front steps under the pre-dawn sky and let her crawl into my lap, purring away again as she did. And as we sat there, the sense of connection I had with this little creature began to expand. It expanded to the likely still sleeping people in the dwellings around me. Then that sense of connection expanded even further to all of the life and beauty surrounding me there in the North Hill Country. And that sense of interconnectedness continued to grow until eventually, as before, it became a sense of timeless connection with all that is and ever was. A sense that we are an intrinsic part of something larger than ourselves, so mysterious and ineffable that I have no better name for it than the divine. According to Oliver Sacks, beauty beckons us to open ourselves to these types of experiences. Well, eventually, after the ecstasy, the laundry, as Buddhist teacher, philosopher, and author Jack Cornfield puts it, I had to say goodbye to my little furry friend and drive back to Austin. I did so with a renewed sense of love and faith, though. And that brings me to this church and the love and faith I have in it. In you. Over the past almost eight years, I've been blessed to witness and be a part of this church becoming more and more a thing of transcendent beauty that our senior minister, Meg, has helped us nurture. We've weathered great challenges together, haven't we? Most recently, the pandemic. And yet also, also we found new forms of beauty to nurture and new ways of doing so.
I have witnessed the people of this church caring for each other, supporting one another in times of sorrow and joy through illness and other challenges. I have seen the great beauty of people in this church also caring for and providing support to folks outside these church walls. The beauty of you advocating for justice in our community and our world. Of you fighting for the beauty that is our planet and the life that dwells upon it. Of you joining the struggle against racism and other forms of oppression so that the full beauty of all people may one day flourish. This church has truly nourished souls and transformed lives, and that is profoundly beautiful. We haven't always been perfect. No church ever is. In fact, seeking perfection can stand in the way of nourishing beauty. But what we have done here, what you all have done, is beautiful. You see, Meg couldn't do all that. Neither can I. No minister can. What Meg has done is provide magnificent spiritual leadership, support, teaching, and care so that she, alongside all of you, could turn this church into a glorious instrument for bringing such transcendence into our world. There's enough ugliness in our world these days. From the recently leaked draft of that Supreme Court ruling that would abolish women's control over their own bodies to the Russian war of mass slaughter in Ukraine to a mass shooting at a grocery store. We must, we must protect, create, and share beauty in our world to counter all of this. So as we move into the ministerial transition period in the weeks to come, let's keep that instrument for bringing transcendence into our world that Meg has so lovingly nourished going strong. And to do that, we need each of you all of us to stay engaged, to continue to grow and create and express our faith within ourselves, among ourselves, and beyond ourselves. We need that great beauty, my beloveds. It is our connection to the transcendent. It is how the divine shows up in our lives. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. 
This morning outside I stood And I saw a little red-winged bird Shining like a burning bush And singing like a scripture verse It made me want to bow my head I remember when church let out How things have changed since then Everything is holy now Used to be a world half there, heaven second rate hand me down. Now I walk it with a reverent air, cause everything is holy now. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.